and welcome to the Better Human podcast. My name is Adam Wagner and I'm a barrister specialising in human rights. And this podcast is all about human rights. And in this episode, I'm going to be looking at the new self-isolation regulations, which make it a criminal offence to not comply with various aspects of the self-isolation rules um, with fines of up to £10,000. The reason I'm doing these deep dives into the regulations is because First of all, they're extremely important for everybody's everyday lives. You could get a phone call um, any time of the day that you have to self-isolate, at which point these regulations kick in and you could potentially be on the hook for a life-changing fine or a criminal prosecution if you don't comply. And the second reason is, whilst it would be good if everybody in the country had access to free legal advice, and this podcast isn't legal advice, Unfortunately, because of the way these regulations are coming in thick and fast about um, whether, when, who we can gather with inside and outside of our homes, about wearing face coverings, about self-isolation, about who we can meet with, and they're coming every few days, it's really important that everybody is given the chance to look at these regulations, look at the actual laws themselves and try and understand them. And that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and this is a human rights podcast. And the reason that these regulations are so important for human rights is because they impact on every aspect of our basic lives, from family life um, to the right to observe our religions, to the right to freedom of speech. And that's why I'm focusing on them quite heavily. The Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering new LLB undergraduate programme taught in London. If you're interested in studying law, take your first step towards becoming a solicitor or barrister with the Goldsmiths Qualifying Law degree. To learn more and apply, please visit gold.act.uk forward slash law. If you want to support this podcast and help me do more of these video podcasts and also the audio podcasts that I've been doing now for a year, then please consider chipping in a few pounds a month at www.betterhumanpodcast.com. And you can also find there links to all of the key documents and laws that I'm talking about today. So before I dive into the regulations themselves, I want to just give you a sort of very basic introduction to what these regulations are and how they're different to guidance. And I should say, it's very important, and, I, and I've said this in every podcast that I've done about these laws, that everyone should follow the guidance. Um, and the guidance is on the government website. I'll put post a link to it. We're all in this together. We have to fight this virus. Um, I'm not going to here say that everything the government's doing is wrong and we should all follow a different policy. That's not where I'm at. Um, where I'm at is trying to understand the rules. Um, but you're going to hear me talk about guidance and you're going to hear me talk about law. And I want to emphasise they are two different things. And I've been saying this since the beginning, just over six months since the first coronavirus regulations came into force. What's the difference between law and guidance? Guidance is advisory. We should all follow it. But if you don't follow it, the police can't get involved and neither can the courts because it's only guidance. It's, it's effectively advice from the government. Law is different. Law, um, and in this case, that means the regulations, which are a form of secondary legislation. Um, law can be enforced by the courts. And what that means is if you break the law, 
Um, and anything that I'm talking about in the next half an hour or so about these self-isolation regulations counts under that. If you break the law, then you can be fined. You could even be prosecuted. The police can get involved. The local authorities can get involved. All sorts of consequences can flow from you breaking the law. Now, that division is complicated by the fact that in certain instances of the coronavirus laws, guidance is referred to. Um, it's cross-referred to. And one example, I, I think possibly the only example in the England regulations at the moment, is if you are organising a larger than six gathering. Um, so if you're a charity or a business or some other kind of organisation that can lawfully arrange larger gatherings, then the law says, the regulations, that you have to follow the guidance. So in that case, if you are brought to court saying that you've broken the, the law, um, the court can look at whether you followed the guidance. So that's complicated and not ideal, but there it is. Um, but in the case I'm going to be talking about, the self-isolation regulations, I'm only going to be looking at the law. There will be some more nuanced explanations of what the government say that the law means on the self-isolation guidance. But the important thing to understand is that if you are taken to court um, with get one of these big fines or you are being prosecuted, the court will only probably look at the law. So that's why it's so important to actually see the law. The other point I wanted to make by way of introduction is this is um, the self-isolation regulations are the latest in a long line of statutory instruments which this government has passed without any parliamentary scrutiny and which have imposed these complex new rules on our lives. And that, I, I, I've been saying for a long time now, is problematic because it's anti-democratic in one sense, because there's no input from Parliament except 28 days later when there is, um, when usually there's a new set of rules to worry about. Um, but it also makes for bad lawmaking. Um, increasingly, we've seen these laws come out at the very last moment before they come into force. So they are published on a website. In some instances, the minute that they come into force, they're on a, on a website. And that is really um, not good. It's not good lawmaking. It's not good for members of the public. It's not good for the police. And it's no surprise that we that we hear politicians, the prime minister today, not even not being able to understand the rules as they as they are. It's it's really problematic. And I, I read a quote from um, a from so I think as a police officer in relation to the northeast, these the new rules in the northeast which haven't been published but have been announced, just saying, well, we just don't know what the rules are. Um, we don't know whether they're going to apply outside as well as inside about not mixing. Um, it's a bit of a mess. So that's one issue. Um, which is general across these regulations, over 50 sets so far. Um, and a second issue is quite often, and, and I would say increasingly, these regulations are so complicated and so fast moving, you know, a new set every few days, and they interact with each other. Um, it's that they become unclear and they become very difficult to understand, even if you want to. Even if you're a lawyer, these are difficult to understand. And that's I find, I think increasingly is a real problem. Um, you know, for example, the rule of six, the prime minister said, these are gonna, this is going to simplify the rules. And when it came out, it, the actual gatherings regulation more than doubled in size um, because I'm sad. I, I counted the words and it had gone from 850 odd words to over 2000 because of all these exceptions. And if you, um, 
if you live anywhere in, in the United Kingdom, I'm going to just talk about England for the purpose of this podcast, you could be at this very moment. So for example, if you live in Manchester, you have the local Manchester regulations, which you need to understand about gatherings. Um, you can't gather in, in groups of more than one, um, except people from the same household. You've got the national regulations, which regulate whether um, how organisations can um, manage larger gatherings um, outside of private dwellings. You've got the face mask regulations, which tells you face covering regulations, which tell you whether you need to wear a face covering if you run a business, whether you have to, um, what you have to do to enforce that. Um, you've got the um, new regulations, which I'm not going to talk about today um, in any detail about um, uh, business owners not being allowing people to sing and dance um, or play music up to a certain decibel level um, in your business. You've got these new self-isolation regulations. You've got the travel quarantine regulations. You've got the um, the 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 um, regulations relating to where you can travel to. It is an extraordinary increasing. Um, melange of regulations from all over the place coming in thick and fast. It's very difficult to understand them. It's very difficult to keep track. I now regularly have lawyers contacting me privately, um, really good lawyers saying, what was that rule again? I think you mentioned it somewhere. And I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. If the lawyers don't understand it, I don't know what hope um, everybody else has. Um, that's And that's by way of introduction. What I'm going to do now is um, show you the new self-isolation regulations, and we're going to go through them in some detail. Okay, so here they are. The Health Protection Coronavirus Restrictions Self-Isolation England Regulations 2020 from the legislation.gov.uk website. Um, I'll also post the link. I've been keeping a list of all of the um, regulations relating to broadly the lockdown, um, which you can access and which has links to some commentary and also to the different um, uh, amendments to those regulations. But these are new regulations, so they're not amendments. They've, um, they're brand new. There haven't been l rules um, making it compulsory to self-isolate in law until the 28th of September. So I'm recording this on the 29th, so they came into force yesterday. Um, you'll note that they were made on the 27th and they came into force on the 28th and they're laid before Parliament on the same day they come into force. That's because the Secretary of State considers that the restrictions and requirements imposed by these regulations are proportionate to what they seek to achieve. And also that the Secretary of State, Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary in this case, believes it's necessary to make this instrument without a draft having been laid before and approved by resolution of each House as a Parliament. Now that urgent procedure has bypassed parliamentary scrutiny and debate um, and has been used for every single set of lockdown regulations and that's why they come into force almost the moment um, that they are laid before parliament but also that they are um, published. So we're going to start in regulation two. So number two um, in bold means regulation two um, and then these little subparagraphs come in and there's lots of cross-references to other parts of the regulations and they're not easy to follow at all. Um, so which is, so I'm going to take them quite slowly and I'm also going to try and um, show you my own notes to explain how these cross-references work. So this regulation applies when an adult is notified, where an adult is notified other than by means of the NHS COVID-19 smartphone app. So the first important thing to understand is that these regulations 
have nothing to do with the smartphone app. So if you get a notification on the smartphone app, which I've downloaded um, and I recommend people do download, um, it's a good and important intervention. The more people that download it, the better it is. It's privacy respecting. Um, the data is not stored centrally by the government. It's stored on your phone um, per the Apple and Google model, which is good. But the important thing is if you get a notification on that app, it doesn't trigger these regulations. So you can't then be fined for not following a notification from the app. But these regulations are triggered if you are notified by a person specified in paragraph subparagraph four, which I'll come to in a sec. And the notification is that you've tested positive for COVID-19 um, pursuant to a test after 28th of September 2020. So I think that means that you... Um, that the test has been taken after 28th of September 2020, um, so from the 29th, or you've had close contact after 28th of September with someone who's tested positive for coronavirus. So you've got to be notified by a particular person specified in subparagraph four of one of these two things. Um, or a child, in respect of whom they are a responsible adult, has the same thing. And where... Paragraph 1A applies, so that's this one. So you've tested positive or come into close contact, you've been notified of one of those two things. You must self-isolate for a particular period, which is specified in Regulation 3, and notify the Secretary of State, if requested by a person specified in Paragraph 4, of the address at which you'll remain. Um, so th these are my little notes. So Paragraph 1A I applies, so if you've tested positive... Um, the person notified must notify the Secretary of State of the name of each person living in the same household as that person. So, it's, so you've got a lot to do. Um, you've got to self-isolate and notify the Secretary of State of each person living in the same household. Paragraph 1B is the child test positive or has come into close contact. So it's a child you have responsibility for. These regulations don't... You can't, as a child be fined or prosecuted for breaching the regulations, but adults who are responsible for children who aren't following the regulations um, can be um, can be punished for that um, if they don't follow what's being direct they're being directed to do, so self-isolate. And I'll, I'll come to explain that a bit later. So you've got to, so far as reasonably practicable, secure that the child self-isolates for the period specified in Regulation 3, um, and notify the Secretary of State the address the child's at. So um, that's that. Paragraph 1B1, child, where the child tests positive, you must notify the Secretary of State the name of each person living in the same household as the child. What does self-isolate mean? P, that's you, um, must remain in your home or the home of a family, um, of a friend or family member of you. Um, or of R, R is the responsible adult where P is a child, um, or bed and breakfast accommodation um, or any of these kinds of accommodation. What does remaining in mean? Well, you may not leave the place specified in subparagraph A, except where necessary. And here is a list of things that you can do. Um, and it's important to note here that this list is more expensive than the list, I think, that was in the original self-isolation guidelines. There's more things that you're permitted to do. 
So seek medical assistance, whether this is required urgently or on the advice of a registered medical practitioner, including to access services from dentists, opticians, audiologists, chiropodists, chiropractors, osteopaths and other medical health professionals or services relating to mental health. So remember, it has to be necessary, required urgently or or on the advice of a a medical practitioner to go to the vet, which where this is required urgently or on the advice of a veterinary surgeon. Don't know why I can't say that word. To fulfil a legal obligation, including attending courts, satisfying bail conditions or participating in legal proceedings to avoid the risk of harm. Um, so so that's a shortened version of a um, and an exception that has been in many of these regulations almost since the beginning. Um, and it... I think it came in as a um, because people pointed out when the original regulations came out about not being able to leave your home or be outside of it, that what about people who were um, suffering from or at risk of domestic violence? Um, But to avoid a risk of harm is not defined um, anywhere in these regulations. So harm um, could be mental harm. It could be physical harm. Um, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that's being got at, but it's not defined. Um, So it is potentially a wide um, exception. Could it go as far as um, meaning that you can exercise if you, um, if if to not exercise for two weeks would harm you in some way, either physically or mentally? Perhaps. Um, and, And I say at this point, it's important to note that going out for exercise is not one of the listed exceptions, which makes this a very um, onerous responsibility. In effect, many people could be completely stuck for two weeks um, in their home. To attend the funeral of a close family member, a close family member isn't defined. Um, could that mean a cousin, a distant cousin who you are particularly close to? Maybe, but I think what it's getting at is um, close family, such as brothers, sisters, children, parents, um, maybe beyond that, first cousins. Um, But again, it's not defined. To obtain basic necessities such as food and medical supplies for those in the same household, including pets or animals, where it's not possible to obtain these provisions in any other manner. That's really a very difficult exception because not, what does it mean not possible? Well, I suppose being reasonable, what it means is if you can't get online shopping, or you can't reasonably get somebody to come and bring you your shopping, you can go out and shop. Um, But again, it's up to a court and we just don't know what a court would do with these. To access critical public public services, including social services and services provided to victims, such as victims of crime. To move to a different place specified in subparagraph A when it's become impracticable to remain at the address at which they are. So those are the exceptions. Um, And note, um, it doesn't say... Um, includes or you know for example these are the exceptions um so um there it is okay so remember there was the um the person whom you can be communicated with about having to self-isolate or, or a positive test well that person must be either the secretary of state um so if matt hancock gives you a call and says you've got to self-isolate then that's that um, but that would also include somebody who's working on his behalf. Um, a person employed or engaged for the purpose of the health service um, and a person employed or engaged by a local authority. And Now, these are pretty broad 
this is broad wording employed isn't but engaged is what does engaged mean i i guess just as somebody who the local authority has brought in to assist with contact tracing um so it could be on an employed basis it could be on some other basis um but um you know that those are the, those are the only people um f- from whom a communication that you need self isolate would bite in terms of these regulations Okay, so how long? I have to say, I find Regulation 3, I found it quite difficult to understand. Um, so I'm going to do my best to explain how it, what it means. But it's drafted very legalistically. Um, it sounds, you know, lawyers will be familiar with this kind of language, but it's not that easy to figure out. Um, here's what I think it means. So specify, So the purpose of Regulation 2.2, that's self-isolation. Um, this is how it's calculated. So it begins from the moment notification is received by P, by you, um, or by the responsible person where P is a child. The period ends with the final day of a period where regulation 21A1 or B1 applies. So which ones are those? That's positive test or the child test positive. So it's positive tests. So the final day of a period where those regulations apply of the 10 days beginning in a case where P or R when P is a child reports to a person specified in regulation 2.4, that's one of those specified people, of the date on which symptoms first developed with whichever is the later of the date five days before the test pursuant to which notification referred to in regulation 2.1 was given or the date which they report. So, so let's just get that straight. Where you've reported a positive test, it's five days before the test was given. That's it's so it's ten days from five days before you got the positive test, um, or the date that they report, whichever is. The later. So if you reported later than you were given the positive test, it's five days before that. I hope that's clear. Let's let's just do that one more time. So if you get a test result on a Friday and it's positive and you report that on the same day to the contact tracing service, then it's then the t- time starts ticking five days before that Friday. Um, so I guess technically it's Sunday, but let's just for safety call it Monday. Um, So it's Monday, 10 days from the previous Monday. Um, But if you report it on the Saturday, it's 10 days from the previous Tuesday. I hope that's clear. Um, Maybe I'll do a graph. Okay, so, so so this is when you've been in contact with someone who tested positive. So it's not a positive test. So, th- so the first period was 10 days, remember? And the second period is 14 days and it's the same kind of calculation um, where you're living in the same household when and you report that the to a person specified in regulation 2.4 of the date which symptoms first developed. Okay, so this is the person who you're living with symptoms. Um, five days before the test pursuant to which notification referred to in regulation 2.1 was given. Um, or the date which C or R when C as a child reports. 
So, so this is when you've been living in, with somebody who's got a po- who's had a positive test, and it's five days before their symptoms first developed, or five days before you reported, whichever is later. Um, otherwise, with the date of the test pursuant to which notification is referred to. Complicated. The Better Human podcast is supported by your contributions. If you find it useful and interesting, I would really appreciate if you consider giving just $3 a month. That's just over £2 via our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash betterhuman. And if a couple of hundred people do that, then that will make the podcast sustainable and I can carry on interviewing interesting guests about fascinating human rights subjects. Um, so, so let's keep going. Um, here's some, this is becoming a regular feature of regulations. Um, the sort of mistakes in the previous regulations or um, updates to the previous regulations becoming a sort of real hodgepodge um, of changes and tweaks. Anyway, interpretation. So when you're interpreting a, when you're trying to understand what a law says, the first place to look is what the law says it means. Um, and quite often laws, in fact, almost invariably laws will have an interpretation section, which will define words that aren't necessarily obvious um, what they mean. So here a child means a person under age 18, Close contact means um, having face-to-face contact with someone at a distance of less than one meter, spending more than 15 minutes within two meters of an individual. Um, Face-to-face contact, does that mean actual touching their faces, um, sort of kissing somebody, or does it mean looking at somebody well, I suppose because it's someone at a distance of less than one meter, it means looking at bit, having sort of eye contact with someone, I guess. Um, Travelling in a car or other small vehicle with an individual or in close proximity to an individual or an aeroplane. And here is how I get the R means responsible adult who has custody or charge of a child, parental responsibility for a child. Um, interpretation of part two. So this is the next part. That was part one. This is part two. Um just note that designated place means the place at which a self-isolating worker or self-isolating agency worker is self-isolating in accordance with either regulation two of these regulations or regulation four of the international travel regulations. We'll come to why that matters in a sec. Okay, requirement on employers of workers required to self-isolate. So this is moving from the person who's required to self-isolate to their employer. And simply put, employers, once they're aware... Um, that some their that their employee or agency worker is isolate self isolating, they must not knowingly allow that worker um, or self isolating agency worker to attend any place other than the designated place. Remember, the designated place is the place you're self isolating. So employers can't force um, or encourage somebody to work anywhere else apart from the designated place, the place they're self isolating. Okay, um, notification by workers of requirements self-isolate. So if you are a worker, if you are employed, then you must notify your employer of the requirement to self-isolate and the start end date of the isolation period as soon as is reasonably practicable, um, but in any event before you're next due to start work within the isolation period. So 
if you get a nice uh, a notification of four o'clock on a Monday afternoon, and you're going into work on Tuesday morning, you have to notify your employer before Tuesday morning. So, I mean, straight away, really. Agency workers, um, I'm not going to go into that in any detail, but the point is that agency workers are also covered, but it's more complicated because they might have a, a, a direct person who is in charge of them but that not isn't necessarily the person who organizes the work so they have to notify the agent the principal or the self-isolating agency workers employer um, of the requirement to self-isolate um, in a similar way okay part three enforcement so this is how these regulations are enforced super important where an authorized person and I've highlighted that in pink, so we're gonna, I'll tell you what it means, considers that P is away from the place that they are self-isolating in contravention of Regulation 2, they may direct that person to return to the place where they're self-isolating or remove them to the place they're self-isolating. I'm going to highlight two things. First of all, where they consider that you are away from the place you're self-isolating. So it doesn't ha- you don't actually have to be away. You do, they just have to consider that you're away. Um, and like the enforcement mechanisms for police officers um, in relation to the many um, lockdown regulations we've seen, it's really in their eyes um, that, that, that what matters and which is where mistakes can make. And the problem of not being able to appeal these um, punishments is a real issue. Um, the second point to note is that they may... Um, an authorised person exercising the power in 1B and um, removing you to the place you're self-isolating may use reasonable force if necessary in exercise of the power. Um, so who are these authorised persons that can use um, though that reasonable force? Well, for the purpose of, the, of this regulation, authorised person means a constable, a police community support officer, a person designated by the Secretary of State for the purpose of this regulation an officer designated by the relevant local authority for the purpose of this regulation. So that's a really wide group of people. That includes anybody designated by the Secretary of State or anybody designated by a local authority. So it could be a, um, there was talk of COVID marshals. If that person is designated, it doesn't say what, that they have to have any particular um, qualifications. They don't have to have some sort of, um, you know, experience of doing this kind of work, if they're designated by the local authority or the Secretary of State, they can use reasonable force. That is really quite significant. Um, also to note where P is a child, so the person who's been told to self-isolate and has left or is outside the place where they're self-isolating, basically you can be, if you're the responsible person for that child, you can be directed to direct them back to the place where they're self-isolating. Offences. So, a person who contravenes a requirement in regulations 2, 7, 8 or 9 without reasonable excuse commits an offence. So, what's 2, 7, 8 or 9? That is self-isolation, um, ha- the, the, having to self-isolate, having to employers not being allowed to force somebody to work or ask somebody to work in a place which isn't the place they're self-isolating. The employees and agency workers having to notify employers um, and, and though, so it's those, it's all those regulations. So if you contravene a requirement without reasonable excuse. Now, the interesting thing here is, um, and this was the case, this has been the case with all of the regulations so far. 
somewhere along the line, either in the actual list of reasons you can say leave the house or in the punishments or sanction section, there is this reasonable excuse, um, it's a sort of a further exception. So arguably, at least, if you you could leave the house for a reason that's not listed at, in, in that list that I showed you earlier, and you could say, well, I had a reasonable excuse. So in theory, you could say, well, even though my th- this particular reason for leaving the house isn't listed in the list that I showed you earlier... I still nonetheless had a reasonable excuse. Maybe I was I was just really struggling in the house two weeks. Uh, you know, I've got eight children living here and I, for my own mental well-being, I just had to get out and go for some exercise. I went to the park at night. There was no one there. I couldn't possibly come into contact with anyone. However, don't rely on it because a court might just say, look, there's an exhaustive list of, ex- of reasons you can leave the house. That's not in it. Tough luck. Um, so... This is important because this is this. You might wonder why there's an extra requirement here, and the reason I'll explain the reason in a minute. But a person who contravenes a requirement to self-isolate under Regulation Two without reasonable excuse, and in doing so, has reason to believe they will come into close contact with another person or group, does then come into close contact with another person or group, is reckless as to the consequences of that close contact for the health of that other person or group. I just wonder whether there's a missing and there. I think that there is a missing and there because this is clearly meant to be one, two and three. So a one and two and three. Um, that gives an increased fine or an increased um, first fine. Um, so if you if you not only um, break the self-isolation rule, but you have reason to believe you come into contact with another personal group, then do, then do come into close contact. Effectively, it's it's an extra. Um, it's being it's seen as a more serious offence. Um, but those are all offences. Um, and also, if you obstruct somebody who is um, carrying out a function under these regulations, such as a COVID marshal, if they're um, allowed to, if they're designated by the local authority to carry out these functions if you try and stop them removing somebody back to their house or or stop them removing you to their house that's another kind of offense summary conviction by a fine but it's a criminal conviction but but a fine no prison um a person who knowingly gives false information pursuant to regulations 22a2 or blah 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 that's notification of your the address where you're self-isolating um or falsely states when asked by a person specified for the purpose of regulation 2.4. So if you remember, that's the Secretary of State, a person employed or engaged for the purpose of the health service or a person employed or engaged by a local authority. So if you give them false information, um, that someone is a close contact of a person who have tested positive coronavirus. So this is about, this is the worry that people had about um, malicious uh, reporting of people as having been in close contact to make them subject to these regulations. Um, although how you prove that is is another is another issue completely. I suppose someone would have to have an alibi. It gets very complicated. Um, body corporates can also um, commit offences. I'm not going to go into that. Fixed penalty notices. An authorised person, remember that, is a constable, a police community support officer, designated by Secretary of State or designated by the relevant local authority, can issue a fixed penalty notice. Now, fixed penalty notice is a, um, instead of being prosecuted, you choose to pay 
a certain amount of money. And if you pay it within 28 days, you don't get prosecuted. If you don't pay it, you potentially will get prosecuted. But there's no appeal. Um, and it's wrong to think that being taking the option to be prosecuted is an appeal because um, on, uh, uh, the, on the one, if you have the fine to pay, the fixed penalty notice, all that can happen is that you um, have to pay the money. Whereas if you um, are then prosecuted, then you can get a criminal conviction at the end, which is really significant. So where a fixed penalty notice is issued in respect of offences described in Regulation 11.1, so that's um, self-isolating employers, notification to employers, ed- agency workers notification, or Regulation 11.7, which is giving false information, then it's £1,000 to start with, Second one is 2,000, third one is 4,000, fourth one is 10,000 pounds. These are big fines. If you remember that the original coronavirus um, rules had starting fines of 50 pounds. Regulation 11.2, so this was um, the one that you can see up on screen where this is sort of aggravated um, breach of self-isolation where you put put someone else at risk. The first Fixed penalty notice is £4,000. It is an extraordinary amount of money. Um, and the second one is £10,000. And, and one thing to understand is many people who break the self-isolation rules will probably fall into that category because they've been out and about um, close enough to people to potentially put them at risk. So this is the requirement of employers. Um, rec- rec- sorry, the duty of employers not to prevent someone self-isolating, um, £1,000, £2,000, £4,000 and then this is notification of employer employees. So this is a, a smaller fine for £50 and I'm not going to do the rest. Um, but there we have authorised person. Again, it's the same. Um, it's the same sort of, um, the, the only extra definition there is what a designated officer is which is someone who is designated for the purpose of these regulations. Um, So they have to, I think that what that means is they have to explicitly be designated for the purpose of these regulations. Um, Power to use and disclose the information. So this is a significant power, which is that anybody who's carrying out a function under these regulations um, or preventing danger to the health of the public as, as a result of spread of infection, I don't know exactly who that's referring to, um, someone else um, who's not fa- carrying out functions under these regulations, some official, they can share the information of people's contact details when they got notified, etc. Um, but they can't disclose personal data if it um, contravenes data protection legislation. Self-incrimination. Um, in, in effect, you can't use Im- evidence obtained under the track and trace um, regime in criminal offences, in, in criminal prosecutions, it's set where they're prosecutions under these regulations, so for breaching these regulations. And we've got these for 12 months, beginning on the day they come into force. Signed, Matt Hancock. So that's the self-isolation regulations. Um, there's plenty more to talk about. Um, I, I, I would like to talk about the extraordinary story that um, came out over the weekend before I'm recording this video about students being detained in their housing blocks um, by security staff, private security staff working for universities um, 
ostensibly on the basis of them self having to self-isolate but and, and i tried to dig into on social media what the basis of this um this power was because i don't think there's any power under any of the coronavirus regulations for a local authority to subdelegate detention of hundreds of people to um to private security officers that don't even work for the local authority um, and in fact it turned out the university man met um university said there is no power and they um they are letting students leave but they advise them not to but that's really serious um that happening and i think it does raise the question now of what now that these self-isolation regulations are in force what implication does that have for universities well it's uh, it's the same universities can't or not you'll you'll have noticed um they're not designated under these regulations to be able to um, stop people leaving the place where they're self-isolating. However, the fact that it's so, the the potential delegation of these powers to by local authorities to, um, I guess, anyone they want to, to be able to use reasonable force to um, return someone to their block, um, it is very worrying because in theory, the local authority could say to a university, well, we designate your secu- private security guards as um, to as enforcers of these self-isolation regulations. And they would in theory be able to use reasonable force to take students back to their rooms. However, subject to that important list of exceptions and, and um, reasonable excuses. So that is to be, to be seen. Um, whether the extent of these powers, I'm particularly concerned that these powers don't necessarily, um, they, they potentially go further than the um, original Public Health Act, which they arise from, because they do seem to authorise the effective imprisonment of vast numbers of people. Um, but I think that is an issue for another day. Um, I'm, I'm going to end it here. I've not, I, I did say I would answer questions um, that people posed and and people have posed the most extraordinary number of questions to me on social media and it's just really difficult to know where to start in a way I don't have there are no easy answers um, to the question questions like well what if I'm walking down the street um, after dropping the kids off at school and I'm part of a group of seven people but it's a narrow pavement and really we can't go anywhere else is that necessary for education as is one of the exceptions to the rule of six or not and I'd like to say there's a, there's a there's an easy answer. I don't think there is, um, and, and none of what I've said today is is legal advice. But I would say this in conclusion: the more you try to control the intricacies and minutiae of people's everyday lives, the harder and harder it will be to um, to have workable and understandable laws because people's everyday lives are infinitely complex there are 65 million people living in this country it is extremely um, i would say it's impossible to try and regulate everybody's private lives and every aspect of their private lives and what you will find if you try and do that i'm not saying it's wrong to try and do that because we also are trying to control the virus but if you try and do that you will find an ever um, expanding list of exceptions and um complications and complexities and interactions between all these different laws 
Um, and it's no surprise, ultimately, that the Prime Minister himself doesn't know, doesn't seem to know the laws. The um, Every time a minister goes on TV or radio to try and explain them, they get something wrong. Um, people complain that they don't understand that. It's, it's no surprise that that happens. Um, how we can deal with that, um, again, is for another day. So I'm going to leave it there. Um, I'll end by saying that the Better Human podcast is kindly supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate course taught in London. If you're interested in studying law and taking your first step towards becoming a solicitor or a barrister, um, you can do so with Goldsmiths Qualifying Law degree. To learn more and apply, please visit gold.act.uk forward slash law. I want to do more of these podcasts. Um, I don't make any money from these podcasts. I don't pay myself for these podcasts. Um, I do them because I think it's really important to try and explain the law, to try and open up human rights to everybody. If you want to support that, then please go to www.betterhumanpodcast.com. That's www.betterhumanpodcast.com. And you can also find all of the previous podcasts, um, mostly audio, um, but also one video. Thanks very much. My name is Adam Wagner. This is the Better Human Podcast. See you next time. Thank you.